This is exactly right. On the 12th season of Tenfold More Wicked, we investigate a series of compelling mysteries from the city of Fall River, Massachusetts, where problems started generations before Lizzie Borden's murders made her a household name. Join me as we cover the misfortunes that have befallen this infamous town for more than 150 years, including the Great Fire of 1843. Season 12 premieres Monday, May 13th on Exactly Right. Follow Tenfold More Wicked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to my favorite murder. Ah, hey everyone, it's Steven! the audio engineer and editor of My Favorite Murder. I am so excited and thrilled to kick off Exactly Right guest host picks. Just for a little context, throughout the months of June and July, you're going to hear from Exactly Right hosts and family members who are longtime listeners of My Favorite Murder. And they're going to pick their favorite story from Karen and their favorite story from Georgia. And this week, I'm going first. Woohoo! It's unbelievable. I celebrated my fifth year anniversary working on the show. My first recordings were episode 17 and Minnesota 2 back in May of 2016. And it has been wild to see how much we've grown over the years to all the people and the whole network and everything. It's just, it's honestly just breathtaking almost, or it's just incredible amazing to see how far we've come and yeah i'm excited to share my favorite murder stories by karen and georgia All right, to kick things off, we're going to take it all the way back to 2016, episode 32, just the 32 of us. It's Georgia's telling of the life and murder of Selena. And this is not only my favorite murder, but it was a very special episode for me because Karen and Georgia were truly welcoming me into the show and into the family. And yeah, it was just a, it it was just really good to re-listen to this and now enjoy Georgia's telling of the life and murder of Selena. All right. My favorite murder this week is Selena Quintanilla (gasps) Perez. No. And the reason I'm doing it is that it is audio engineer Stevie Ray Morris of the Percast favorite murder attribute. I, yeah, no, I. You've been sending me shit. Yeah, I was like sending you texts and I was like, oh my God, I'm watching. And then Aaron Aaron Brockovich did like a true crime thing about it that I watched watched the other day. Well, I grew up listening to Selena because I'm half my family. I'm half Mexican. And so that music was always playing. And I remember like even listening to the music, just feeling really sad for did you, were you little mm-hmm. when she died, so you didn't know yeah, yet? I, I mean, it, I knew it affected because I would still go over to my family's houses uh, and stuff. And like, she I was tell. huge. She was like Madonna times twenty. Well, I'll tell you all yeah. about it. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, did I see them? Quintanilla, Quintanilla. Oh, I don't. I mean, so <laughs> I'm not I, Mexican, but I don't know how to speak Spanish. Okay, I wrote it down. Like I was very. She I, didn't know how to speak Spanish either. I know. I yes, know. Great. But okay. you fucking right, right. both of you shut up. <laughs> Oops. Oh, Karen, your doorbell phone is ringing. Selena Quintanilla Perez was born on April 16, 1971 in Lake Jackson, Texas, and was called the Mexican-American Madonna. Oh, I must have known that. I've watched the movie with J-Lo. I haven't seen it. 
wonderful gosh she's beautiful they were both beautiful and she was poised to become a crossover success when her death turned her into a legend (laughs) um selena's father discovered selena's quote perfect timing and pitch and helped his kids form a band and she was like nine years old when they started performing wow the band once the parent his parent her parents lost their family restaurant the band became the family's main source of income and they were in poverty and this career selena's career just took them out of poverty because they were evicted from their home during the texas oil bust of 1982 and Mm. they moved to corpus christi texas which sounds very hot doesn't it yeah i think it's super southern in texas like down in the gulf maybe right um that's a total guess i know i was like right (laughs) so i want to well my cousin cheryl lived in corpus christi when i was like in junior high okay but uh why do i ever say anything (laughs) is that a big military town i think it is (laughs) yes in fact it has 25 that i have no let's just talk about corpus christi for the rest of the so then the family band began recording music professionally And in 1984, when Selena was, I think, 13, the band released its first LP, Selena Los Dinos. Fuck, I hope I hope you don't get Selena uh, and Fred Flintstone's dog. (laughs) Dinosaur. Mm. (laughs) Hate mail can be sent to Karen Kilgariff. (laughs) I'm just translating. Karen Kilgariff's apartment or house. The address is. (laughs) So. Yes, Stephen, you are correct. Selena was a third generation Texan of Mexican descent, so she didn't grow up speaking Spanish, so she didn't know any. But uh, she learned all her songs phonetically. Mm -hmm. And when her popularity grew, she had to learn it, and she did it very quickly. Just like Roxette. Like what? The band Roxette. What were they, German? Uh, Yeah, or Swedish or something. Oh, they had to learn English? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, no, they just sang phonetically. They didn't know what they were saying. That's funny. Must have been love, but it's all in that. That she had no clue what that song was. Wow. But it's so powerful. Mm Mm-hmm. But it sounds so powerful. The ignorance makes it powerful. That's what it is. Like, because that's what love does to you. (laughs) Makes you a stupid idiot. That's right. (laughs) Okay. Grew in popularity. In the year 1987, she won the uh, Tanejo. Oh, God. Tejano? Tejano. Music Award. I like, I was watching videos to get this correctly, and I'm just screwing it all up. Tahano Music Award for Female Vocalist of the Year. And then she landed her first major record deal with Capital Latin in 1989. So she performed several times at the Houston Astrodome to sold out crowds of more than 60,000 people. Whoa. And after her death, Time described her as the embodiment of young, smart, hip Mexican-American youth from a tight-knit family and a down-to-earth personality, a Madonna without the controversy. Essentially, she was a huge Mexican-American star in her community and was poised to become a mainstream obsess, and that community was obsessed with her and proud of her and felt like, you know, she was one of their own, yeah. and she was a big fucking deal. Yeah. And she seemed like a very sweet person. Everyone in her band was her family, except the guy, the guitarist they hired, who she ended up marrying. Aww. Like, they were, they seemed like good people. They're, it's like a Jackson 5 situation. Totally. Like, but, super talented young kid. Yeah, but not creepy. And her right, dad right. was the manager. So they were very More tight-knit. like a Partridge family. But like, there we go. But yeah. actually, yeah. Or like a, a Manson band. family. <laughs> Fuck. Cut that out. Don't cut that out. <laughs> Not sorry. All right. Where am I? Cut to mid-1991. Yolanda Saldivar. She was... So you see all these photos of her and videos of her. She was... When she got arrested, she was 35 years old. What? That's quote-unquote my age. 
Okay, so 91, Yolanda Saldivar was around 30, and she was an in-home nurse for patients with terminal cancer and just a fan of Tejano music. Just a fucking random woman. She had a history of stealing money from her employers as well as try, trying to become intertwined with the lives of other performers, and she attended one of Selena's concerts and became a fucking psychotic fan. With the intent of starting Selena's fan club, she started obsessively calling Selena's father, leaving almost 15 messages until he gave her permission in June of 1991 to be the president of the fan club, which oh. sounds like, okay, you know what? Take this, run with it, do your thing, right? Right, because you're harassing us. Yeah. So, I, I mean, that's, it's, it's the thing that they didn't know back then that people know nowadays, which Just is Don't like, engage. Right. Yeah. 15 calls to anybody at any time is too many. Yeah. I don't care if like you have a flat tire and you're calling but AAA. It's, like, well, it's too many calls. Well, she's consistent and she wants to run this thing and make us more money. And it's a thing that we haven't started and maybe it'll help her with her. Like, this is what I'm thinking was there. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just saying that's three calls. Totally. In a day? Totally. Totally. Also, like, you don't need to have contact with her no. after that. Okay. So as president of the fam club, she was responsible for membership benefits, collecting money and promoting Selena all that kind of thing. And she actually didn't meet Selena until December 91, but they became close friends and Yolanda became a trusted, trusted by her whole family. In 94, she became Selena's assistant and quit her job as a nurse. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I did not know that. I thought she was just the fan club. No, she became her assistant. She quit her job as a nurse, even though she was making more money as a nurse than she was doing this. Like she was just so obsessed and had posters all over her house and people come over. She would just make them watch Selena videos, (sighs) talked about nothing else and was just like kind of like crazy about Selena. Wow. Yeah. I was kind of that way about kids in the hall for a little while, but it was a dark period (laughs) of my life. Yeah, it was just, I had flunked out of college and I was just weirdly obsessed. It was when they were running them on Comedy Central and I just, it was the only thing that made me happy. (laughs) (laughs) That laugh was the creepiest. That was, I've never heard that laugh before. I just realized, I mean, every, we all have the potential. Everybody likes a thing. Sure. Like crazy. And wants them, like has this feeling of like ownership and like, yeah. And like, no one understands it the way I understand it. It's almost made for me kind of a thing. Yes. But have you met them and told them that? See, my thing is that, and maybe it's just from working in TV. I, I really don't like celebrities. Like, there's nothing more disappointing. And I think most people know it these days from reality TV and stuff. Celebrities are very disappointing in real life. Except for us. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not us. Uh, yeah, no, they're just, I mean, the most they'll be is slightly pleasant. Yeah. But for the most part, you will f- you will have regretted trying to be like, hey, can I get a picture? I'm a yeah. big fan or whatever. You're not going to get the you thing. I and it's some obscure thing. And they're they like, don't care. okay. They don't care. It's super weird. It's like, you know. Yeah. It ruins it almost. So. Yeah. Good luck, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck in life with your fucking cute little fantasies. <laughs> Um, All right. Well, then, so in 94, Selena starts opening fashion boutiques. She has two of them opening up. It's called Selena, etc. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't either. Because she has this crazy style. It's very 90s and very like on point, like, you know, almost Madonna-y, but a little more hip. It's cute. It's those cute. Well, from what I remember in the movie, there's like a lot of ruffles and a lot of like 
you know, shimmery, velvety pants and stuff like totally. that. Hoop like, earrings and yeah. red lipstick and all. Yeah, it's totally pretty fucking sweet. <laughs> um, so, so she she's opening these clothing, these fashion stores, and asks Saldivar to become the manager of the boutiques. So. Saldivar, because of doing this, is authorized to write and cash checks, had access to the bank accounts associated with the fan club and the boutiques. And Selena gave her an American Express card for the purpose of conducting company business. So she put her stalker, she made her stalker the CEO of the Doesn't company. know that she's the stalker, though. Oh, Right. Oh yeah, Selena has no idea that she's the stalker. Got she it, just thinks it. she's a good friend of hers. That's like willing to do all this hard work. Yeah, that's like you know. Selena's in this bubble of becoming famous and touring and all these things, and this person is becoming a trusted confidant and and is a huge fan and, and clearly is an intelligent woman if she's a nurse yeah, and all that other yeah totally okay yeah and everyone said she was very manipulative and good at you know being manipulative yeah um, fifteen so, calls that's all I have to say yeah fifteen calls it worked somehow <laughs> so within a year Saldivar had mismanaged the boutiques and they were failing. And then upon investigation, the family finds out that Saldivar had embezzled more than I, I saw 60,000, but I also saw a hundred thousand dollars and forged checks from both the fan club and the boutiques. But Selena refused to believe it. She was like, no way. That's my friend. Like even her father, who was a manager and her husband and brother were like, dude, they were like, dude, (laughs) probably not like that. But eventually Selena kind of sees some shit going on and, and believes it and the family fires her tells her not to come near Selena but Selena still wanted to become friends stay friends she was like you don't work for me anymore but let's stay friends so at this time Saldivar purchases a snub nose 38 caliber revolver <sighs> and here's what I think is the fucked up thing is a th- is 38 caliber hollow point bullets then the bullets were designed to cause more extensive injuries than normal bullets oh, no. which like throws out um, later we'll talk about it. So on March 31st in 1995, she convinces Selena to meet her alone in a days in motel room, promising to restore to return financial documents that she had stolen and telling Selena that she had to come alone and that she had that Yolanda had been raped and needed someone to talk to. Oh no. And this no. she has to make up this lie because three other times in the past like couple of weeks Yolanda had tried to get her alone and it had been foiled every time and her husband had come or it, they had met in a parking lot or something like that. So she, so Yolanda was trying to get her alone. Yeah. So in the hotel room they kind of they kind of fight over the the documents and as they're doing that a, the gun comes out and Selena turns to run and out the door and Saldivar shoots her in the back as she's running out severing an artery leading from her heart and it came out the front of her chest on the other side so it was kind of like a shoulder shot uh-huh. and Selena's running towards the motel lobby as she's bleeding and Saldivar comes there was a witness said that she, she chased after her pointing the gun at her and calling her a bitch selena ran 130 yards to the motel's lobby and collapsed on the floor and meanwhile yolanda's now trying to escape in her car and it was theorized that she's heading to the recording studio where the rest of selena's family is to kill them too oh, no. like that's what they thought but a police officer who was around the corner responded stopped her and Instead of getting out of the car, she pulls the car into a parking space. 
and gets kind of blocked in in this parking spot. So she's in her car in a parking spot with a gun, won't come out. In the meantime, the motel staff is trying to help Selena. An ambulance comes in less than two minutes, but Selena's pronounced dead at 105 from loss of blood and cardiac arrest. <sighs> her last words were, this fucking makes me want to cry. Her last words, Yolanda Saldivar, room 158. Those were her last words. Like, not tell my family I love them. Um, it's she like, was just trying to make sure they knew who yeah, did it. Yeah, which makes me so sad. It's just like, the, the last words out of your mouth are the, about if, your killer's name. Well, yeah. I mean, I know, like, I know, like, you should get them out. But then I just wish it could then be, like, something sweeter. She was only 23 years old. Oh, no. I know. Baby. Well, an autopsy's performed. And this is what I thought when I heard about her running after getting shot. She died of heart failure. Wait, no. We realized Selena's heart, fueled by adrenaline, and I think from running, pumped all the blood out of her circulatory oh. system. So I feel like if she hadn't run, she either might have gotten shot again by Yolanda, but she, but or the blood might not have. It's those hollow point bullets. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think you can get shot and it comes out the other side and you can survive that, right? No, because isn't that part of it is like they explode inside you. And so when they come out, they just, instead of a bullet hole size yeah. coming out, it like rips out. I mean, those things are evil. Right. Yeah. Well, They're that's evil. the thing is so event. So Saldivar is trying to say, I'm just trying to say that it was an accident that she was going to kill herself. But it's like, well, why did you buy those bullets then? Yeah. Like you clearly had a motive. So meanwhile, there's a nine hour standoff with Yolanda in which she is in her car with the gun to her head, hysterically on the phone with the hostage or with the negotiator trying to say that she didn't mean to kill her. She was an accident. She was trying to kill herself um, and all these other excuses. But ultimately, let's see, da, 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 she gave herself in. And she got arrested. She's tried for first degree murder and claimed that the gun, quote, accidentally went off and all these other excuses. But ultimately, it didn't work. And the jurors deliberated for less than three hours. And on October 23rd, 1995, they found um, guilty. She's sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole in 30 years, which is going to be March 2025. Hmm. But everyone's like... She is so incredibly hated in Texas. She will be murdered. And she has to be in um, solitary confinement because of that. Because the rest of the... Everybody wants to kill her in jail. Yeah. Everyone in jail who was huge Selena fans her whole life wants to fucking murder her. Yeah, that's... I mean, yeah. Yeah. So she's... She spends every day, 23 hours a day alone in a nine by six foot cell. Let's see. So the case has been described as the most important trial for the Latino population and it was compared to the O.J. Simpson murder trial. It was one of the most publicly followed trials in the history of Texas. Wow. Her posthumous 1995 crossover album, Dreaming of You, debuted at number one on the Billboard charts and became triple platinum. That just gave me chills. I know. She was the first Hispanic artist to have a predominantly Spanish language album debut and peak at number one. That's so fucking cool. I know. I mean, terribly sad, but also... Because I remember that being in the movie where it's like the the... It's a tragedy anyway. Yeah. But this was someone who was poised on the verge of crossing over at a time before yeah. that was like before J-Lo, before yeah. any of those things well, were we happening. remember like in the late, you and I and people our age will remember in the late 90s, like this huge, this huge Latin pop 
explosion. And yes. it became, that was like the first time it became mainstream. So she, Selena's doing this in the early 90s. Yeah. So she's for Ricky Martin. Right. Before like any of that where it was kind of like the sexy, you know, yeah. um, Shakira, any right. of that That stuff. wasn't yeah. that wasn't on American pop radio. Yeah. Like that was right. not on there at all. So yeah. it, it, she was kind of a trailblazer and seemed like a good person. And this fan... Like I didn't, I didn't know. I always pictured it differently, and it's just like so fucking tragic. Well, it's also fascinating that thing of like when you can. It's like when you were saying, you know, she's just this random person, but you do trace those things of like a person who embezzles, mm-hmm. a person who, um, like those kind of smaller crimes. It that's how every story goes like yeah. this, where it's like they always have a background where they're trying to get anything they want at any price and they have like gray area morals too yeah like i don't like yeah someone if i knew a friend embezzled money i would not trust that person no, even you're though not allowed to steal money from other people it's no, not your money no no you don't get to ha- you, you have to you abide by certain it. rules in yes. life and not screw other people over and you don't want to be that person like i remember there was a cafe i was working at when i was uh a teen and I had it in my mind. I decided that I could take a $20 bill when Mm -hmm. I was closing at night so I could buy beer because Mm -hmm. they only paid me minimum wage. I had this whole rationalization Totally, and I did it two times was racked with guilt about it. And then the manager told me, did I tell you this? Mm -hmm. The manager who was also my friend, like someone I hung out with, he goes, I don't, uh, something's going on we're always short I think it might be the janitor <gasps> and then I was like oh my because that's what happens yeah. you steal somebody else could go down for it or like I mean the idea that he even would suspect this person who has nothing to do with it it then I thought maybe he told me that because he knew oh, it was me because it was always me he did or it was me the two times and that was just a manipulation which God bless you genius move yeah but also like and then I like the next week I was talking to my dad on the phone and we were talking about something else and then he goes Karen there's some people out there that just can't keep their hands out of the till oh and then I almost threw up because I was like I almost wanted to go that's me my dad is my my sweet dad is talking about bad people and I'm the bad person. you don't want to be the bad person no you don't you don't need whatever the thing is you think you need you don't and get your own get your own get your own you can yeah Keep, wow. your hand, keep your hands out of the kitty. That's super weird that I talked about that it picture. It's so weird. Sorry about that. I didn't no, mean to I don't care. It. It's super like we've never talked about her before. No, not at all. That is super weird. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com slash 
slash murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. Hey, Karen, you know that feeling when you're stressed out and your heart starts to pound and your mind is racing? I do. I know it well. Well, while there's no cure for stress, therapy can help shape your response to it. And since May is Mental Health Awareness Month, there's no better time to try Talkspace. When you sign up for Talkspace, you'll receive a personalized match with a therapist or psychologist, typically within 48 hours. Forbes rates Talkspace as the number one online therapy platform, plus their licensed professionals are in network with almost all major insurance companies. Once you meet your therapy goals, or if you want to cancel for any reason, Talkspace will provide you with a prorated refund for unused time. I feel like these days people understand the importance of therapy, but the difficult part is just taking that first step. It took me months to make my first therapy appointment. I was so scared. I had a lot of ideas in my head about it. And that's why I think Talkspace is such a good idea, because making it so approachable will just get you there sooner. Then you can actually get in there, figure out what you need, talk to an actual professional, and be on your way to solving some stuff that you might want to solve. To celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering our listeners $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80. Go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and use promo code SPACE80. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and enter promo code SPACE80 and get $80 off your first month and show your support for our show. That's Talkspace.com slash MFM. Enter promo code space 80. Goodbye. Ugh, what a tragic story. What a beautiful story. What a beautiful person. And Georgia did a damn great job telling it. And now we're taking it back to 2018 with Karen's story from episode 133, Made of Crystals. It's the Lady of the Dunes. And I think for me, this is my favorite murder of Karen's because it combines all the things I love about Karen. It's a good mystery. It's a cold, you know, windswept beach. There's movies, Hollywood involved, Stephen King. I won't spoil anything. You're going to love it. Enjoy the Lady of the Dunes. Okay. So we will we will downshift uh, slightly here. Thank Jesus. Yeah. This one is older, less intense, and has an has some interesting um, layers to it. Pre nineteen ninety. Yes. Okay. But I liked it because lately I haven't. There have been times, obviously, all my life, where I will sit there and watch like. If it's like real detective, I just watch every single episode. And then sometimes I'll make notes and then later go back and be like, oh, that's a good case. Yeah. But lately I haven't. I I think it's just I think it's the heat. I think it's like cultural, political stuff that's happening where I just want less of everything. Mm -hmm. And so when I go to do those things, mm. the things that used to relieve my anxiety, they cause more. <laughs> so now I've been going doing watching things where it's like slow and easy and low-key and like far away so like the japanese tv show oh, that we watched last night together oh, let's talk about it fucking hooray okay you'll hear it georgia busted out a show last night i had no idea you didn't know let's, let's yeah, we'll talk about we'll it. save it okay so anyway i love that people constantly suggest 
uh, cases to us. Like, have you covered this? Why haven't you covered this? Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I, you know, there's too many questions to answer on Twitter, but sometimes the answer is we did it in a live show. You just haven't heard it yet or it hasn't been posted yet or we can't post it for whatever reason or like. Like, for example, I read the research of Danny Rawling that Stephen put together for me when we went to Florida. Mm -hmm. But when you're doing a live show and you have consist, you have a 30 minute story of people going, oh, it's like it's it's like not as fun for us. And that's in in the not even just the live show, but in the actual recording, too. Like, it's really hard to do stories like what I just did or like the eyeball killer or like any kind of fucking child murder. Like, why don't you do this one? It's like because we don't want to fucking talk about it. Yeah. And there's no way to do it. Like, that was the cleanest I could have done it without talking about his fucking past and getting really descriptive about. The mutilation. Yeah, we still we still have to do it so that we walk away here right. and not bummed out. Yeah. You know, as much as anybody else. So yeah. it, which is fine. fine. This is Great. like it's a version of how to talk about. Which crime. is why we love when people are like, have you done this one? I have so many screen grabbed and saved that people having suggested things like I've never fucking heard of that one before. Same. And I am always looking for I just like the weirdness. So even yeah. Like, especially lately, I've been like, has anyone ever been killed by a random cyclone? I'm doing stuff like that <laughs> where I'm like, you're making this way too hard for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then this one came up the other day because there was this article uh, in the Washington Post a bunch of people sent to us. Okay. Um, so I would like to thank listeners Natalia and Amanda and the first one uh, to have posted this article and say, hey, what about this? Have you ever heard of this theory? I love that you're giving fucking first person credit this is first, great first is like come on first is the best first is first fruity troll roll got this to us first <laughs> of course <laughs> of course for good old fruity troll roll like, ftr ftr right yeah you know um i was like can you please find because i really want to give credit this, yeah. is, this is something that came to me and uh and sometimes i rely so heavily on those mm. suggestions amen and fruity troll roll was like hey do you guys and i was like thank you so this is the story mm. I get so excited. Karen just one Karen just one second in me and now I'm like on the edge of my fucking <laughs> couch. I just want to double my article couch. Check. <laughs> Wait, uh oh, Karen has a pen in her mouth, which absolutely <laughs> disgusts me. Don't ever put your pen and pencils in your mouth, oh. people. It's just germ city. It's like licking a fucking doorknob, especially in this house. You've seen my cat sit butthole first on a pen, Karen. God damn it, Georgia. Like, that thing was in out. my mouth. <laughs> also this I don't know. I'm filling filling the silence when we could really just have Stephen cut it out. That's right. It's because I had. A I like it. It's like I've fall. I've somehow yeah, yeah. fallen, and you have to cover. And I'm covering with a couple glasses of wine that I've had, and I'm just gonna fill the time. Elvis, how do you feel about it? Right. Thank uh, you, Fruity Troll Roll, for sending the story of the Lady of the Dunes. Have you oh, heard this one? Shit. Yes, but I but I don't. Yes. Okay. This is um, a cold case from 1974. And oh, oh, I know. Yes. Do you know? Yes. And did you read this article? Yeah, but I was like, I've heard this before. Like, I didn't like pay attention to it. Okay, so great. So this was just in the Washington Post and which is why it's kind of come back around. And uh, in this article and uh, sorry, it was um, the article was written by a guy named Isaac Stanley Becker for the Washington Post. And it's really it's it's so fascinating and it's cool and it's about somebody but then it's also about this cold case and mm-hmm. um and there's a movie involved which of course I, you know i love so it was all very interesting but uh it's very pop culture it is 
and kind of timely. It crosses lots of interest lines mm-hmm. or makes a lot of connections. Um, but also there's a book written by a writer named Deborah Halber. She wrote it in 19, uh, in <laughs> 2014 called The Skeleton Crew, um, which mm. is about online sleuths solving <laughs> crimes. Fucking fun. And so they refer to this cold case as the whole, the holy grail of a case to be solved. Um, so I think that's why it comes up a lot. And I also think it comes up a lot because, uh, the police in this area, in, uh, Provincetown, Massachusetts, kind of haven't let it go they just keep yeah. they just keep bringing it back to the news like it seems it's like, like the every one 10 that years. they really want to solve in camp but it's also got a really cool name that's like creepy the lady in the dunes that's like so it's like the talmud shoed kind of case where it's like that sounds what is that it's intriguing that's right also i just said the lady in the dunes which is what i wrote in this document mm-hmm. it's the lady of the dunes i keep saying as if it's the lady in the water mm. the m night Shyamalan film mm-hmm. that i don't think that many people saw it's the lady of the dunes. Right. Okay, so essentially here's how it goes. On Friday, July 26, 1974, a 13-year-old girl is walking her beagle along the Race Point Dunes in Provincetown, and her parents are there. They're visiting their friend who lives in one of what they called the artist studio, or it was an artist studio. They were called the Dune Shacks. So they were these... Um, these old shacks that basically people went and lived in and kind of refurbished. And it was like, because it was away from everything and like, everything's like, like, like sea salt worn and shit. Exactly. I'm thinking of, um, the Lost Boys right now. Like, you know, like <laughs> yep. that kind of when they That's right. pull into town and shit. That's Santa Cruz, you know. Oh, right. Yes. yes. Okay. Um, yes. Well, then I'm thinking of the wrong city. <laughs> We're thinking of the wrong coast, but it's that feel because it's beachy. But it's very remote. Yeah. Um, and so she's walking her dog, right? Because her parents are back. It's 1974. It's an artist shack. Yeah. So, you know, she's like, bye. I'm, I'm going to walk around the dunes. And when she gets to this, basically a patch of pine trees, her dog smells something, mm. runs off. Beagles. They're good at those that. Those fucking beagles. And, um, she finds in a clearing uh, the body of a woman is lying face down on a green beach blanket naked. And the woman has been there long enough and she's in the state of decomposition that she's kind of a bluish green color. So, of course, the little girl runs back to her parents and they call the park ranger station. And head ranger Jim Hankins is the first person to arrive on the scene. So he finds... The body of this woman, she's five, six. She's somewhere between the ages of 20 and 49. They can't really tell, though, because she has so much um, damage and decomposition around her face and head. Oh, my God. Um, uh, she has an athletic build. She has long auburn hair, and it's tied back in a ponytail with a gold-flecked hairband. And her toenails are painted pink. <sighs> and her hands are, they look like they're dug into the sand like she was doing a push-up yeah like but, trying to get up kinda, yeah yeah but actually when he looks closer her hands have been removed <gasps> oh my god isn't it insane that someone could lay there that long without being detected yeah. they think it was between it could have between been between 
one to three weeks Holy that she was shit. laying there. So that's kind of how remote this yeah. area is. Yeah. And at the time, what the park rangers were trying to figure out is like they knew who drove in and out of that park. Right. Because you had to go by the park ranger sure. station. Sure. And that's the old sign up here and we walked down your license and they know everything. Yeah, yeah. So they don't know who she is. She didn't have a car. They don't know how she got to such a remote location. It's also so creepy that she's on a beach. Like she's not, no one like tried to hide her. It's like the place where she last... It's almost like she lay down on this beach blanket and died, but right, but no, yeah. And because she's so basically because she's naked, yeah, and there's no overt sign of assault or struggle, they are thinking that she could have been she was laying in this patch and it was she went into the patch of trees so that nobody could see her from the right. beach, um, because this is like in the dunes area, so, so it's away yeah. from the water. And she went to basically not have tan lines. So she's nude sunbathing, maybe falls asleep in the sun. And that's when some she gets hit in the head, (laughs) blunt force trauma cracks her skull. And that was the cause of death. The angle when they do the autopsy or figure out the angles, they realize the person who hit her was probably laying next to her. Yes, because that's the angle of the blow. Hit her while they were laying next to her? Right. So either she knew the person and that's why there's no struggle and she was asleep or just laying there calmly. Sure. Or she was asleep and the person came and like laid down. I mean, like they it's just like you can run 17 scenarios. She didn't jump up in fear in any way. So, yeah. She either was asleep or she knew the person. Right. Is the theory. Right. Or wasn't threatened in some way by this person. Right. And the and the reason that they uh, they don't believe and there's not evidence of a sexual assault huh. um, because she's uh, yes, she's nude, but her her jeans are folded up underneath her head. OK. And so it got like laid out in that position in that scenario and that with a pillow. Right. Naked. And, and her um, the towel she's laying on is not disturbed. Right. The sand around her is yeah. not disturbed. Which is very strange. So strange. Um, so the, all of that is, you know, that's that takes a while for them to put all that together. But basically, once Head Ranger Jim Hankins basically sees what's on his, you know, what they have there, he calls police police chief Jimmy Meads at home. Yeah. And so when the police further investigate, they uh, find that um, she had uh, dental work that they. Qual- they classify it as New York style huh. um, because it costs between five and ten thousand dollars. So she had time. what year was it again? Seventy four. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And she had seven gold crowns. Holy shit. So y- there it's the idea that this is not, you know, in their minds. Yeah, th- it's not a runaway. She hasn't been living on the street. This is a person who has been taken care of, who's had yeah. a good life or at least access to good dental care. Which yeah. that means you're not probably not in a rural setting. Yeah, or like, yeah, the best insurance or whatever. Yeah. It's just, it's, uh, oh my God. You know, it's not someone who's like, I've been drug addict living off the street and I'm trying to sleep in the sure, dunes. Sure. They're like, there's this is something else. Some of her teeth have been removed and they don't know when. And they, you know, like not, they don't know if it's prior or didn't specify. But I mean, I think it was, I think it was, they believe 
in the act, yeah. like her teeth were removed, because later on they suspect Whitey Bulger. <gasps> Bulger, he they actually question him. Keep, okay, keep going. This is okay. I'm so I I only know the basics of this, and I'm so fucking deep into this and sad. It's very cool, but also I will say this: there's I'm sure so much more online because so many people have done the internet work about this. Right. So if if you want the deep dive to know all these details, and I would highly recommend. You know, first of all, this I already bought and started Deborah Halbert's book, The Skeleton Crew. Happening. And it's great. I'm doing it immediately. It's great. Okay. Um, but also this is just this is something that, you know, it's one of those things that if I right now went online and then saw where people are like, uh, the Whitey Bulger theory is so immature uh-huh. or whatever, where I'm always like afterwards, I always go like, why don't I check Reddit first? They know everything. <laughs> Reddit knows everything. They know everything. I know. So. Let me get back to my paragraph. Go ahead. <laughs> Do it then. I'm going to wait here and just talk until you find it. They find two sets of footprints leading <gasps> to her body. As one Jesus. <laughs> That's terrible. That is, it's what we do. And then 50 yards away, there's a set of tire tracks. But all the park rangers, all the vehicles were accounted for. Yeah. So, uh, that doesn't like that never helps anybody. But what um, if it's one of the park rangers? I mean, could be. That's Reddit. They're like, God damn it, Georgia. They're like, we already fucking we, we did already, that already twice. Uh, we, we did it in 1997. Okay. <laughs> they think her body could have been there for up to three weeks. Um, but because they're at the dunes, so there's lots of insects, the decomposition yeah. makes it makes it hard. And she's laying in the sun. Yeah. She's laying in a patch where it's right. and there's lots of grass around her. Also, the picture. They have um, a photo. Mm-hmm. There's pictures. Actually, do you mind um, just clicking on that article so that I can show Georgia? There's Look, a I'm going to do it at some point tonight, whether it's when you guys are here or when you're gone and I can't sleep. Stop confronting me about your picture. No, what I'm saying is I'm a monster. Just show it to me now. <laughs> okay. But, but. Don't look. St- but Stephen, don't look at it. I should just not let make Stephen look at this. Uh, I want Stephen to sue us for <laughs> traumatic stress <laughs> at will. some point. Um, no, it's a Washington Post article. So essentially, her face and head are un- unidentifiable because of the wound, because of the decomposition. Mm-hmm. Even though the head trauma, because her skull was cracked, mm-hmm. is, that's was determined to be the cause of death. She's also strangled so <gasps> severely that she was almost decapitated, <gasps> which was also a, a whitey boulder thing <gasps> of, uh, you know, garroting people. I think I don't really know anything about whitey boulder. Bulger, I Bulger? think. Every time I say it, I think I should be saying yeah, the other yeah. one. But whatever. I don't know anything about he's it. He's a hitman. I, I know he's a hitman, but I didn't know like... Well, then you do know something about him. <laughs> okay, hold on. You got me back for earlier. <laughs> yeah. That sounded Did like Did you a feel the sting of it? Third grader. And it hurt. <laughs> and it really hurt. It brought me back to third grade. I need to fucking write a new chapter for the book about the third grade. Good. That'll be for the... Uh, that's bonus content. Yeah. Oh, I see it. It's like a far away. You yep. can't really tell. You can't really see, but you can like yeah. see that. Oh, I see her foot. I see that there's something. Oh, oh, poor baby. The only clothes that were found there were a blue bandana and that pair of jeans that were folded under her head. So uh, the, she also had a hamburger and french fries in her stomach, huh. which meant that she had been in town recently because uh-huh. she hadn't and metabolized those yet. So there's nowhere to get any of that stuff where yeah. she was. 
So, of course, they begin searching and questioning as many people as they can. And they um, look through missing person reports and the list of vehicles that were in the entire area at the time. They're getting nothing back. Then when the police chief first sees the scene, the first person he thinks of is they had just had he had just prosecuted and sent to jail a serial killer (gasps) named Tony Costa. Um, and for a second, he thinks this could be his work. And then but that would be impossible because Tony Costa had hung himself in jail two months before. Whoa. But it would it had been right before. Crazy. Um, Bummer. There was another lead that they had, which I think is interesting. It was an escaped female prisoner named Rory Kessinger huh. and who was around 25 at the time. She had disappeared. And so they were like, maybe it's... Why don't we know more about this woman? I know. I mean, you can Google it. I'm sure there's plenty to know. And Reddit's like, we'll fucking tell you. (laughs) Um, But when they went and took DNA from Kessinger's mother, obviously later on when DNA was Mm -hmm. modern and developed, it wasn't a match. Mm -hmm. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant-quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. So then there's the Whitey Bulger theory um, because he removed his victim's teeth so you couldn't identify them as easily. Um, And hands. 
and hands. So no fingerprints. But I don't know if that was his thing. Right. He had also been seen with a woman resembling the victim around the same time. What, what, that's where he was like located and shit? Yeah, yeah. He was, uh, I think he was Boston. Everyone okay. can now go watch the Johnny Depp movie um, about him. Okay. And then learn I everything. don't like Johnny Depp and I refuse to watch his movies. I just don't like hit men. <laughs> I just don't. I don't like men who hit. No. Of any kind. Yeah. So the police question um, him, but they they can't ever link him to anything. There's no evidence right. linking him except for the MO. Yeah. Then there's a serial killer named Haddon Clark, who I've never heard of. Mm-mm. He was also a paranoid schizophrenic and he was in jail at the time. He tells an inmate, quote, uh, I could have given the cops her name because I killed her, but not after they beat the shit out of me. <laughs> so he also told the other inmate that what the cops were looking for was buried in his grandfather's garden. <gasps> and then finally, he sent a letter to his friend from jail saying he killed a woman in Cape Cod. And then he did drawings of a handless woman <gasps> on her stomach naked. He did and, it. And along with a map where her body was found. He did it. I think it's him. He also led police where he claimed to have buried two women 20 years ago. <gasps> but none of these clues or leads or anything lead to actual evidence. Who is he? Mm-hmm. I want to know this. Haddon Clark. I've never heard of him and didn't have time to do a separate book report on him. <laughs> so that's for that's a future thing that's for you. Another. Okay, great. But basically with all these leads, this case goes cold. So the police end up over time exhuming her body twice. So in 1980, basically the case goes cold for six years. Then in 1980, authorities exhume her body so that they can test it for more leads. They're like, we we have to do something. Then they, they rebury the body, but they (sighs) keep the skull because they know that the there's evidence there that maybe they just don't know it now. That's so awful. I know. And eventually the, police chief james meads he puts the skull on his desk and won't and leaves it there what because he says he vows to find the name of this woman that the lady of the dunes will be identified before he retires so then again they exhume her in 2000 to now because dna developments and so they gather more dna that protesting that they didn't have in 1980 in 2010, the forensic reconstruction of the Lady of the Dunes face appears in the Boston Globe. And that's when Deborah Halber, the author of The Skeleton Crew, she sees it in the Globe and it inspires her to write a book about all these unsolved cases that people are working on on the Internet. And that's basically what got her. Uh, the full name of the book, sorry, is The Skeleton Crew, How Amateur Sleuths Are Solving America's Coldest Cases. Amazing. Very cool. So. So this is the modern layer okay. that's fun and exciting and weird Okay, that made me go crazy. Okay. In 2015, there's a writer named Joe Hill, and he's watching uh, an episode of Haunting Evidence. <laughs> it was, the episode was from 2006. It was season one, episode six. Mm-hmm. He's watching it, They and they bring up the lady on, of the dunes. They show that reconstruct the facial reconstruction of her uh-huh. and they show and they describe the clothes that were found with her, the jeans and the, the blue bandana um, that she wore around her head. The blue bandana. Yes. Like a it was, kerchief. Exactly. We call it a schmata. And yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. So 
basically he watches that and is fascinated mm-hmm, by it. Mm-hmm. And then soon after, <laughs> he goes to the 50th anniversary screening of Jaws. It's his favorite movie. And he takes his three sons to go see it. <gasps> and as they're watching, it's 54 minutes and two seconds into the movie. <gasps> You know the part where they reopen the beach so everyone can go to the beach for the 4th of July? Mm-hmm. So they have all these big crowd scenes of people going to the beach. And is that, Wait, is that filmed in Cape Cod? Yes. It's filmed like right there. It was it was filmed 100 miles. It was filmed in two different beach locations uh-huh. 100 miles from where her body was found. Okay. But basically in the same, you know, state general area. Okay. But not right there. Okay but nearby and when he's watching he spots this woman in the crowd i've seen this oh my god she has a blue schmata kerchief on her head long auburn hair long brown hair loose white t-shirt blue jeans she looks mid-20s just like a random woman in the background athletic build probably five six yeah um and when you see her the the woman in this picture's nose is a bit bigger than the one in the facial reconstruction it's creepy but it's he basically spotted it and then he w- talks about in this article thank you in the buffton mm-hmm. in the washington post article he talks about how there's no rewind when you're at the movies right. there's no pausing at the movies so then he was just like freaking out and going could it be and he says he knows it's because he's a writer and he writes like ghost stories and creepy stories yeah so he's like of course my brain wants to fill that in and wants to make that connection but what if what if Mm -hmm. what if and so then he goes home and so wait the jaws and that scene everything was filmed like right before she got murdered or like she was found that's right so they were filming jaws in 1974 Uh in that area Uh uh-huh if I knew more about Cape Cod, I would be able to t- explain sure. it, but I kind of can't. But it's basically the explanation is within a hundred miles. Yeah, which I realize is, a lot of is wide. Except they had to get people. So those right. crowd scenes, they had to get a shit fucking ton of people yeah. to show up because they it had to be the thing of look at all these people right. here. So it was hundreds and, and hundreds small, of extras, small town. But that's also a that's also a typical outfit for the mid 70s too right and the hair and the you know it's not that out of character for a woman to be wearing that at the beach no no no. but i think it's just him seeing it's basically the story that gets looped Mm -hmm. in his mind that is very it's just like the kind of lead where you go it's possible yeah yeah is because if she, everybody knew that Spielberg was making a movie on right. the Cape that summer. Right. Everyone nearby knew it. Yeah. And everybody knew that they needed people for crowd scenes. Like that was, they said that that was the thing that like went all around everywhere. So, so it wasn't like if it was like, okay, we live here, but up in Bakersfield, they're making a movie sure. and we might be able to be in it. Let's drive up there. Like, and maybe let's hitchhike up there because yeah. it's 1974 yeah. and maybe. I'm rich and I live in this town with my parents, but I want to go up there and take my gold fillings up and fucking have a weekend. Well, that makes sense. And then it makes sense, too, if whoever she is, uh, her parents had passed away and she was just like on her own because someone would have connected her with a missing person by now. You know what I mean? Yes. So that makes me think that, like, there weren't a lot of people who knew her or she had, was escaping a fucking, you know, a mess and no one uh 
reported her missing because they didn't think she was. They thought she just fucking skipped town. Now, Someone's this is making me long think of the sister. Teacher's Pet podcast right. where a woman who had a fun, tons of family, friends, a brother who was a cop. Yeah. And the exact same fucking thing happened and because nobody. it was back in the day and people kept going. I thought they were going to take care yeah. of it. I thought the police were taking care right. of it. And if you have one person giving a cover story. She's not here because she went to Europe because yeah. she finally wants she to be a, a painter or something. She told us to say, fuck you. And everyone goes, oh, that's awful. Yeah. And then this is what and a- no actually ended up it. happening. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. I mean, it's just something. But I, I think it's kind of an interesting thing of the that they shot that scene in July no, of 1974. Yeah. And her body is found at the end of July of 1974. Wait. OK. I don't think I realized it was that close. Yes. And they've never been able to fucking find if this extra woman was like, oh, no, that was me. I'm alive. What's up? No, because the casting director and I don't know if it's the casting director of Jaws or if they had hired an extras casting director. Yeah. um, Could be a different person. But whoever that person would be that would have known any names or I guess. I I mean, mean, how would you know? You don't get names, names. You get release forms. Yeah, I've been an extra and they give zero to none shit about you. Yeah. But even that person died in 2009. So any they they can't figure out the way to trace (sighs) hundreds of people that way. Dude, hundreds of potentially locals. Yeah. And it's like a thing that a ton of people did. Oh, my God. Um, But he still goes in and pulls the thing and talks about his theory and brings it to the police. And they're like, we've heard this theory. Yes. You know, like, thank you. Mm -hmm. And they're he said they're receptive, but it didn't it didn't thrill them. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something they hadn't heard before. And, And no link is found. But here is the quote from Joe Hill in the Washington in the Washington Post article that I liked. Two astonishing things happened on Cape Cod in the summer of 1974. One is that Steven Spielberg filmed Jaws, and the other is that someone murdered this woman in the dunes outside Provincetown and got away with it. Anything that stirs people's memories could potentially be productive. And this is still an unsolved cold case. And Joe Hill now has a podcast called Inside Jaws. And that's how this story, I think, got brought to light. Wow. Is because he loves that movie so much. And then the thing I will say now at the very end, because in every article, it's what they start with. But Joe Hill is his pen name. And he actually is Stephen King's son. <gasps> dun, yeah. dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, my God. Yeah. And that's the Lady of the Dunes. Dude. The cold case that everyone's still working on and... Uh, hopefully we'll get solved someday soon. Steven, solve it. That's bananas. I know, right? Oh my God. God. I know. What if it gets solved soon? Also, let's just, I love that movie Jaws so much. Yeah, it's the best. It's truly a perfect movie. Yeah, it is. It's a perfectly, perfectly done movie. And the idea that it was Steven Spielberg's like, basically like, aside from Duel, it was his first big like blockbuster is crazy. And that now it could be possibly tied to a fucking cold case murder of a woman. That's it's, like, that's also, the creepiest thing I've ever That's heard. It's so, you know what yeah. it's like? It's like the guy in the exorcist that was the x-ray yes. technician that was a serial killer. Yes. It's that thing. I love that so much where there some things, you know, it's not common at all that it's a movie, but there are things where like people get captured on film because and it, back then it did happen sometimes it's much more common today yeah but like back then 
it happened. But it's just also those weird backstories of like in like the Wizard of Oz, you could see the legs of someone who hanged themselves from a tree or like in three men and you a know, baby. That was a stork, right? Yeah, I know it. That what? Yeah. And then the three men and a baby, you can see a ghost in the background from a person who killed themselves, which is like none of it's true. It's all explained away, but it just like adds this level of like, um, like lure, uh, this like lore to yes. this, you know. And it's just as fun, at least for me, obviously, the way I just said that to you, because it clearly it's the third grade episode, but <laughs> at, at least for smart people like me, is that what you meant? At least for people that read half an article like me, but. It's just as fun to get caught up in the in the lore. Yeah. And then debunk the lore. Yeah. You get to be all the people. You get to be the innocent. Because there's no answer. And then, yeah. And then you get to read the article that says that was actually a cardboard cutout of a little boy that they hid behind the curtain thinking, get rid of this. And then everybody thinks it's a ghost. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is just as fun as there's a ghost to me. Totally. Um, Because what if we're all wrong? Yeah. And we and 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 what what if cardboard cutouts are ghosts but if ghosts are cardboard cutouts what yeah well, every time it's just somebody floating a cardboard cutout by it's a you. ghost with a cardboard cutout paranormal cardboard cutout experiences <laughs> my new series someone please make the fu- our new series someone hi, i'm ep oh, that's right we just think of an idea and i'm like well did you hear about my new series <laughs> someone please make of your idea <laughs> yeah someone please make the fucking um like logo up like on the you know it's already done. You I don't know. have to finish I know. I know. It's That's Wednesday night and by tomorrow morning it's done. Again, thank you, Fruity Troll Roll, <laughs> for being a part of our lives. Oh, that was that was a wild ride. I, I, I mean, I feel like this could have also been... It was a shorty for me, but this could have been 12 pages long uh-huh. with all of the players. So much to learn and grow from in these... Mm. Who truly who is the next eight episodes are going to be based off of this story. Who is Haddon Clark? Whitey Bulger. Whitey Bulger. Then also Bulger is that like cracked wheat that they yeah. serve. Bulger. Whitey Bulger. Bulger like Ray Bulger, who played the scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> wow. What a great story. Sad, but fascinating Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. We appreciate all your support and love over the years. As always, you can catch me here every week. And also, if you want to hear me talk about cats with my friend Sarah, you can always listen to the Percast, part of the Exactly Right family. Again, thank you so much for listening. Stay sexy and don't get murdered. Goodbye. Elvis, do you want a cookie? Ah.